Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. All right, so I finally uh, got another episode edited from the Huntfish Podcast Summit that I did back in March, I guess. And this year is uh, flying by. But uh, yeah, as always, um, I am very busy in the summer. And uh, I don't think it'll ever be a very productive time for podcasting. Uh, which is a shame because, you know, I'm often hanging out with some really cool people and uh, lots of opportunities uh, to record. But, um, you know, I'm always going to prioritize my outdoor experiences and, you know, time is limited. So, um, you know, I do these podcasts when I can. Uh, they're still something I'm very interested in doing. I really enjoy them. And um, if you're a... Uh, an avid listener of this podcast. Sorry for the, the delay in, in episodes. Um, hopefully someday I'll be able to strike a better balance with my, my uh, schedule. I just really get pulled in so many different directions. And I work a nine to five here, here in the duck hall shop, which is where I am reporting from. And uh, yeah, I still do lots of wildlife stuff <clears throat> on the side, helping out friends in academia with research and uh, film wildlife film stuff here and there, uh, educational opportunities to get out and preach the good word of conservation um, through my various connections in reptile parks and zoos. And uh, and then, you know, I'm always trying to make sure I have time to get out in the field myself. Uh, really my favorite thing to do, um, I guess I've talked about it enough on here, but, you know, when I'm thinking about my time, I want to spend as much of it you know, out looking for reptiles and amphibians and birds and plants, and photographing them and immersing myself in nature as, as possible, as well as, you know, looking uh, fishing and, and hunting and all that. Um, that's really what brings me the greatest joy. But there's always the ob obligation to uh, do it, you know, this sort of stuff. I think it's really valuable and I also really enjoy it. So. Here we are um, in mid-August, no, early August, and it's uh, getting close to hunting season, and my schedule is kind of starting to slow down as far as, um, you know, doing a lot of wildlife stuff. There's not a whole lot to do in Southeast Texas when it gets this hot and dry, but um, anyway, yeah, I'm finally getting down, sitting down and, and editing podcast, and my next guest uh, is Todd Craighead. Todd is the one of the media guys over at the Oklahoma Fish and Wildlife. I gotta make sure I get this right. No, Google it. I don't wanna. I don't wanna. We we talked about it on the episode. I literally just listened to it. But uh, Oklahoma Fish Wildlife Department. But there's a conservation somewhere. Every state has a big one has a different um, name or state agency. It's the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. And uh, Todd has been um, their TV host and one of their main uh, media guys for their, for their different programs, their educational programs for, he said, 25 years. And uh, he's really well known in Oklahoma 
He's, uh, you know, uh, very popular. Uh, people love him. And Todd has a really interesting story, how he has gone through life, and how he got into the outdoors. And we'll talk all about that. He does have a disability, but he has uh, gone through life as if he didn't have one. He's a really inspiring guy and a great storyteller. He has a, just an amazing voice. I think his voice is really his the talent that brought him so far in, in media. Um, just, a, just a really good uh, TV voice. And um, yeah, someone, you know, I really look up to Todd. You know, stayed uh, at that hunting ranch for the podcast summit for about three days and uh, had some great conversations with him, uh, you know, chatting late into the night. And um, he has so much experience hunting and fishing and conservation. And, uh, this, you know, the sort of wisdom that I really, I really look up to. So uh, I think you guys will really enjoy this one. And yeah, I think I'll stop rambling there. And now I bring you Todd Brickett. All right, we are on. I'm here with Todd Craighead. Todd, thank you so much for uh, coming on my podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Um, so we're just going to dive right in. Um, tell us where you are from in the world. I uh, grew up in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. And um, uh, for the last 28 years, I've worked for the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. And um, which is, you know, <laughs> lately has been very quite famous we'll, we'll talk about that later <laughs> but uh how do you find yourself in the position you are now um in, or what led you into a career in the wildlife industry well that's that's an interesting story actually yeah. because i um i was uh, you can see it but mm -hmm. your viewers can, or your yeah. listeners can't but i was born with a very rare birth defect mm -hmm. and i uh, grew up in a wheelchair and um, not anymore in a wheelchair, but uh, did spend a lot of time in one. And uh, I still look funky, you know, from the outside, arms and hands, legs, feet, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, as a, as a preteen boy, even a teenager, uh, you definitely live through that period of your life. And there's a lot of uh how oh, competition you're mm. wanting to measure up with your peers and it's find, a difficult time for yeah. sure yeah all, you're just trying young, to all young boys yeah. find out who you are and and where you fit in in the world like you said and so um i couldn't play the sports mm. and so i was looking for an outlet where i could be considered an equal in some respect and so my dad was a forester and um, worked for the Oklahoma State University Extension Service as Oklahoma's state extension forestry expert. And so he was all about the trees. Mm -hmm. And uh, guns fascinated me at a very early age. So I, I got the itch to explore the world of hunting. And when he took me out for the first few times, and I just discovered that the outdoors provided me something that I had been longing for my whole young life, and that was to be considered an equal, mm. to be looked upon as no different than anyone else. And what I discovered is the outdoors are is the the great equalizer. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money you have, yeah, really how is. strong you are, how feeble you are, whatever. It treats everyone the same. Yeah, and 
I was, I ate that up. I was longing for that. I was longing to be considered an equal in anything, you know, anything. And now when I discovered the world, the outdoor world treated me just like it treats everyone else. um, I really found a a passion for it. And so hunting became that outlet to where I could then be considered. I couldn't run as fast or hit Mm. a ball as far or throw a, you know, a football as far as anyone else. But when it came to hunting, it's more of an of a mental game yeah. and exercise than anything else, in my opinion. If you're going to go about it strategically and and uh, calculated and do your scouting and all that, so I found that um, I could excel in those areas. And through the world of hunting, I could not only be considered an equal to my peers, but maybe even superior, superior. to <laughs> some of them. You know, and um, and that was what originally attracted me to hunting Mm. and the outdoors but after that then it became much more personal and not as much about how I compare or measure up to other people but just the satisfaction that I felt when I was outside right just yeah that yeah that adversity you dealt with and you talked a lot about you know this stuff last night and uh which was really great your storytelling ability is is impeccable (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was a good storyteller I'm a good uh, talker you know uh but yeah, so that's how you got into it, and then it turned into you know this lifelong career of that's uh, really centered around conservation. Sure. Know? Oh yeah. That's, you, know, you know that's one of the things that really um, I have some pet peeves. You know yeah. we all do. Uh, one of my superficial pet peeves is people calling antlers horns, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a much deeper, more personal pet peeve, and that's people that will get the words conservation and preservation mixed up or interchanged and um i see that in my world a lot you know for through our agency the word conservation's in our name Mm -hmm. oklahoma department of wildlife conservation and so people there there is a segment of the population that thinks that conservation is the same as preservation Mm -hmm. you know when you when you um when, when your grandma made preserves you know, you know, um, you know, plum jelly preserves or whatever it was, those were intended to be made and set aside and not used. You preserve it. Mm. Conservation is literally defined as the wise use mm. of a natural resource. Use is very important. Mm. And so when people get upset about, oh, you're, why on earth are you promoting hunting in a conservation organization or agency? I was, you know, obviously, I know instantly uh, you're getting this confused with yeah. preservation. Conservation at its heart is the wise yeah. use. Which is to say the sustainable use. Absolutely, you know? yes. And, you know, a lot of the, the general public isn't out to get hunters. It's just they are just simply ignorant of the simple... Uh, fact of conservation you know what what is actually defi- yeah. the definition of conservation mm-hmm. and um yeah we you know has studied wildlife ecology and um we talked about that in a lot of our you know conservation biology classes and our professors drilled it into our heads you know good <laughs> conservation is sustainable use you know we do it through science and you know good management and uh, we want to ensure future generations get to utilize natural resources um, and then we learned there were people, you know, some of the original people that were thinking about these issues, you know, a hundred years ago, there were 
I forget names now that I'm, I'm thinking of it, but uh, there were preservationists that, right. that didn't want to use any of the forest resources or, or wildlife resources mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, and really the, the way forward, just because of how society is, we, we, we have to, you know, use our resources, Absolutely. you know, um, and, but there is a time for preservation, you know, like I, where I'm from, you know, there's these little pocket prairies and stuff that are just basically representing what my home ecosystems looked like 200 years ago. And, uh, like we should preserve those areas. Like right. Just, Anyhow, um, conservation is the way forward overall, though. Most um, definitely. I, if you were to ask me what my title is or what I, what I would label myself as, I'm a hunting conservationist. Yeah. You know, I, I hunt because I'm a conservationist. Yeah. I'm a conservationist because I hunt. You know, it yeah. works both directions. I like to spread that message that, the, you know, my, among my hunting peers that we are we really should be conservationists first, hunters second, but you can also think of it the other way around. Sure. As long as they're intertwined in some right. way. Because uh, the simple fact is, and the theme of my podcast here is uh, there's a lot of division in the different outdoor communities, and uh, I'm a part of various you know, birding communities and herping mm-hmm. and all these different communities, and uh, there's a lot of cultural differences. You know, some you know people that grow up in the city versus rural areas have different ideologies and stuff, but the uh, my, my theme here is to unite all the different groups in the name of conservation oh, and um, good for you absolutely so that's uh you know trying to but you know part of that is you know getting more hunters to think of themselves as conservationists mm-hmm. and uh, get more of my naturalist friends to you know maybe engage in consumptive use you might find sure. a deep connection sure. to the wildlife you love you know you bet i have two uh friends that i know that um are hunters today but came to it through a very non-traditional pathway. Mm. Um, one is, is my barber. <laughs> and I'm bald. You would think, Todd, you don't have a barber. <laughs> but I do have to have a haircut every like six months. <laughs> anyway, Nick, um, I got to know, and he knew me from, from television. He knew who I was, was kind of fascinated with that. But um, one day he said, um, so I got a, a question for you. My uh, my my wife, um, we are trying to live as much off the grid as practically possible, you know, in a city urban setting. But we want to be, um, you know, to, to leave as small a footprint and low impact as we can. So she is putting in a huge garden. And she told me that uh, if she was doing that, that he would have to provide the family with meat and that he needed to learn how to hunt oh (laughs) and so well kudos for her you know hallelujah a wife was talking her husband into please learn how to hunt and go out uh but um yeah so he was he was almost kind of asking me in a little bit of desperation i don't know what i'm doing what do i do and and, uh, you know, I, I feel this pressure, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that might be what it felt like 150 years ago, yeah. you know, 200 years ago, uh, bef- you know, as our country was beginning to become more settled and, and westward expansion, uh, you know, the, the family was the ultimate self-sustaining, low-impact uh, family unit. And, um, and uh, every person in that family unit had a job and now he's he's feeling that same kind of pressure 
uh, from his wife. And so, yeah, he's he's a hardcore hunter now. Interesting. And this was several years ago, and I did a whole episode on him, Nick the Barber, and uh, um, he's he's loving it. And it's, it's even grown beyond just providing meat for the family. I mean, he's just sure. passionate, passionate about it. Passionate about it, yeah. And then, so that's one non-traditional route, you yeah. know, and then... That's more common these days, people wanting to get into hunting for simply the food aspect. Yes. So um, I, had, I had gone into this um, uh, uh, sun, it's called sun and ski sports, but it's like snow skiing, mm-hmm. water skiing kind of stuff, and... I don't do either one of those, but I, I went don't in. <laughs> I was looking for some shoes, actually. And, and so this uh, uh, young man there that works there, um, uh, we struck up a conversation. And I didn't end up buying any shoes, but I walked out to my truck and was getting in it. And he came running out. And he goes, this is your truck? And he said, I see it driving up and down this, this main city street all the time. And please tell me you've got it built out in the back. And I said, oh, yeah, come look at it, you know. And and so I've got, you know, uh, a, a bed in there and uh, solar panels on the roof. And, you know, it's totally outfitted out to be able to just kind of overland mm-hmm. camp, you know. And I, I don't do tech, technically either one of those. I just hunt out of it, mm-hmm. you know. I just yeah. – it's my mobile camper. Yeah. Uh, and so – we developed this friendship. Uh, several months later, I go back in the store literally just to see him, you know, and just to visit. He's young, and I want to encourage him and all that. And he said, I've got big news. I'm moving to Colorado. I got a job as a ski instructor at, um, where was it, Monarch, I think, or I'm not sure where, but one of the ski resorts. And, and uh, he said, I bought a, a box trailer, and I'm – I'm building it out as a tiny home and I'm going to live in this box trailer. And, uh, he said, it's kind of slow going because I live in an apartment. And so I, on my days off, I take it to the Lowe's parking lot and park it there. And then when I need stuff, I can just go inside and buy whatever I need and then come out and work at it. But it's really, I'm feeling the pressure. I'm trying to get gone in a month and you know, it's, it's slow going and uh, he said, yeah, and also this is my second trailer. The first one was stolen. Oh, God. And so, man, I just feel like I'm kind of, I've got a, I can read people pretty well, you know, and I thought I need to help this kid out. And so I offered my house. I said, why don't you bring your trailer to my house and just leave it, mm-hmm. and I'll give you a key to the garage, and you just come and go when you want spend as much time there stay as late at night as you want you know i've got all the power tools that you would need and all that and he took me up on it he brought it he brought the trailer and he's building it out and uh at one point he uh he said we were having this conversation i got home from work and it was his day off and he said um he says yeah i, I guess you hunt some too right and i said do I ever, you know, come inside my office, my house, you know, look at this, look at the living room and it's the ultimate man cave, you know? And, <laughs> and he said, I, I feel like that's the last missing piece to this puzzle of who I want to become. I want to become this well-rounded, you know, individual that, um, understands how the worth world works and where I fit in it. And I think, hunting is part of that missing piece yeah and he's the 
I would never pick him in a lineup as a potential hunter. You know, he had, and I'm going to be very stereotypical, but I mean, he was, you know, he was wearing the Birkenstocks and the skinny <laughs> jeans and and the Patagonia vest and the the you know all the different brands. Well, he got it at discount at it, the place he works, but it's just I passed judgment on him, thinking, oh, he's not, he's yeah. not a viable, yeah. you know, human person. nature to stereotype. Yeah, so. but. But when he spelled that out for me, man, I was so excited for him. Yeah. So I've started mentoring him some and kind of introducing him to the world of guns and the mm -hmm. the whole idea of hunting and how you can utilize so many extra parts besides even just the meat of an animal mm -hmm. uh, for things. And, and, I mean, he is just soaking it up. He's yeah. loving it. That's something uh, you care a lot about is mentorship. He talks a lot about that. and. Uh, I'm guilty of not being a great mentor. Um, I've only ever just recently been able to be a mentor. You know, I was right. graduated from college two years ago. So now right. time is opening up to do that. Um, but yeah, that's a big barrier people have is, uh, you know, so someone might be listening now that, you know, maybe they uh, live in an inner city or somewhere that hunting or the outdoors isn't very accessible. They don't have family members that do it, and they're, but they just want to do it so bad. But where do they even start? Right, like, right. You need somebody to take them. Right. Get them comfortable in the outdoors and around firearms. Firearms is a big fear for a lot of people. Sure. They're very uncomfortable. And it's, uh, so there's like all these barriers for different people. There most certainly are. And there's, there's barriers by those that are interested. And then there's excuses for those that have the experience. And don't make And, it. and uh, I, I mean, both of those mm -hmm. are in my opinion, just totally invalid. You know, I mean, the barriers are real, but there are ways around it. There are mm. ways to overcome those barriers because people are doing it every day. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the excuses, uh, I just don't give any credence to somebody that says they give me excuses because I think those are, those are covering up what's really at heart and it's your selfishness. You don't mm. want to, you know, sacrifice time away from your own experiences. Right. I'm and bad I, about that. I, I care a lot about my experiences in the outdoors and we only have a limited a finite sure. number of those. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the other day I was going out to, I'd, I'd look for rare plants and stuff. And like, we have these, these spring ephemerals that pop up and they only bloom for like a week each year and not to get too off topic here, but <laughs> I'm just making a point that at best I might only have 60 or 70 more springs to see these wildflowers. <laughs> It's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, like, when I'm thinking about my time and, you know, if, uh, selfishly thinking about my time um, in the outdoors, that's that's one problem I have with uh, right. mentorship is, you, you know, you, you got to – but if you really want to make a difference in the world and, would, and uh, you know, change someone's life potentially and help conserve our resources, sure. it's so important. And I'm – I. I don't want to imply that you have to give up your own self-identity as a, a hunter or a conservationist and just drop it all and become a full-time mentor. No, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying once a year, you know, whatever it takes, um, spend, you know, you need to feed your own soul, yeah. you know, so That's, get out there and yeah. enjoy what yeah. you like. But And then pass it forward. Yeah. yeah pay it I, forward. Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, I'm sitting here as the old guy telling you you know back in my day you know but uh i'm telling you that once you've done it once with somebody else and you see that spark ignite 
you know, in them, you own, I find that I'm now getting almost more satisfaction from those experiences. From passing it on. Yeah. When I see it click for somebody yeah. like Nick the barber, yeah. you know, when I see that click and I don't, I don't take him out every single stinking time I go. In fact, he has his own family farmland that I would love to get invited to go up there and hunt with him. But I mean, I got the ball rolling for him yeah. and that's all it really took. The other biggest excuse I hear from folks that are not willing to take the plunge and mentor somebody is they say, I barely know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it myself. <laughs> I'm not qualified yeah. to, you know, I don't even know all the laws, you know, around this X, Y, Z thing, you know, or I'm just winging it. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. A new hunter that's never been doesn't care. You know, most don't care how much knowledge you have. And they're not going to say, well, before you take me hunting, I'd like to see your resume and see how many, you know, 300-inch bulls and how many, you know, 150-inch class bucks you have. And and uh, they don't care. You're willing to invest, give them your time. Right. And that's what they're, what's most important to them. So don't feel underqualified to be right. a mentor, no matter what your level of experience with something is. Maybe... You know, you say, hey, Joe, whoever, um, I've never been morel mushroom hunting, but I see it all over some uh, social media. Uh, you want to go out with me sometime and just look for them, and we'll just learn together. Just get out in the outdoors. Yeah. I, I, know I can think about my life, and uh, mentors have been so important for me. Sure. Just as self-growth, especially my wildlife career. Without good mentors, I would have never had any cool opportunities to work with wildlife or hunting opportunities. Or which, I was, luckily, my dad got me into hunting in it from the beginning. But um, I always think about all the great mentors I have, and I'm like, man, I need to, I need to mentor people. <laughs> you know yeah. what I feel is such an honor and privilege is that. So I've probably what I've done is I've exposed more people to deer hunting and turkey hunting. Mm -hmm. Let's. Uh, really mostly what I enjoy doing and so that's where my opportunities are to share it with other people and uh, do you have you been deer hunting before mm -hmm. have you shot yeah. a deer before mm -hmm. yeah you remember who was with you when you shot your mm -hmm. first deer right yeah. because that will never leave you they are part of that memory forever you're never going to forget who was yeah. with you when you shot your first deer and so when I think back that I am that person stuck in someone's memory forever and being associated with their first deer and they're never going to forget that experience and who was with them. I mean, I, it's an incredible it's honor. Special. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a special, special privilege and honor to, to be that person for so many different people. Yeah. So let's talk about your uh, career um, with the Oklahoma Department of Fish and Wildlife. Wildlife right. conservation. Wildlife <laughs> conservation. Every state <laughs> yeah. has a different order of words. Yeah. Texas has Texas Parks and Wildlife. Right. Florida has Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. Yeah. What have you. Um, so tell us about your career. Well, so I, I, worked, I started working uh, in 1995 for mm -hmm. the Wildlife Department. And so this year will be 28 years that I've been there. And um, I started out as a um, titled uh, information specialist. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote our regulation books i made our educational posters all our brochures anything printed 
and published, then I usually did the layout design for that and um, did that for several years. But right after I started, within just a few months, uh, I was approached by our, um, our video crew and said, hey, uh, seem, sound like you've kind of got a, a good speaking voice. Would you be interested in doing our recording our little um, pre-recorded fishing report? that we pump out to all the news uh, radio stations in Oklahoma. Sure. So I tried that, and then they said, you've got kind of a good presence on camera, and um, how would you like to try being, you know, a, um, a substitute host for our weekly television show, Outdoor Oklahoma? And, wow, man, I mean, that was really <laughs> exciting. I oh, know yeah, that sure. that stuff kind of, uh, not kind of, really intimidates a lot of people and I don't I, ho I hope it's not vanity but I feel a comfort zone in it you know and yeah. I like it and um, I, I enjoy it and so when I got the opportunity to, to um, guest host the show once uh, it just so happened the stars had aligned so that the current host was looking for they were looking to revamp the show and and um, reorganize restructure it and they thought it was time for a new host. So I was asked if I'd be interested, would I like to do that? And man. Of course you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, for 20, um, 25 years now, twenty almost 26 years, I've been the the host of Outdoor Oklahoma every week. And uh, that is, so cool, that is such an incredible. That is so it, cool. I would like to say it's a dream come true, but I never dreamed. Yeah, you don't dream that stuff. That just, I never dreamed that that come, would come at you. So um, it is. It has opened so many doors to experiences and people that I've got to meet uh, that I just um, feel very, very blessed and privileged to do that. I guess you can imagine what your you know, fifteen year old self would would think of that. Yes. Experience. Well, my 15-year-old self would have never dreamed <laughs> that I would feel comfortable in front of a kid because I was very self-conscious, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, being physically different. Right, yeah. uh, I just wanted to be a wallflower and just blend in and just overlooked, you know. Yeah. And and um, and now I'm approached you know, in the Walmart men's bathroom. Hey, would you, <laughs> you're Todd Cray, would you sign my receipt, you know, <laughs> autograph? Sure, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it's yeah, 25 years, you said, or 26 years. Yeah, so that that's how makes. How old I am? That's how it's, it's oh, crazy. Dang, now you're. <laughs> Not a, no, it's just it's an interesting reflection, you know. Like, right. yeah, I couldn't imagine doing something cool like that for that long. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah. I um, it, it's been it's been quite a ride, and I've I've loved every bit of it. It's it's just one of these things that um, it's a different challenge, and doing many episodes now we've pared it down there's only three of us producers that produce the entire show and the show is um the modern era of outdoor oklahoma has been on our public television station in oklahoma and and half a dozen other television stations and our youtube channel um it's been on our public television station for 47 years oh. And uh, so that means I've been the host for longer than half of the show's life. That's cool. And I grew up as a kid watching this show. <laughs> That's pretty special. So yeah. it is It is really special. And I guess it's, it's been around so long, it's, um, it's just very well received and very beneficial to you know, the mission of the department. 
Oh yeah, it's it's one of our most important outlets for sharing information, and um, it's not just an informational dump type of show. I mean, we make it entertaining, and mm. we show bloopers of mine. <laughs> In fact, sometimes people eat that stuff up. But uh, I, there is truly, honestly, just a finite amount of types of experiences, you know, that you can you can showcase on a, on right. a, on a hunting and fishing conservation show. And so, um, there's only so many ways you can show catching crappie, you know, or archery deer hunting. But, um, what I have found the most challenge and joy in now is finding the, the stories that center around maybe crappie fishing or archery deer hunting, but you get wrapped up in the person's story right. yeah. and that that's never ending. Those opportunities endless, are never endless ending. stories. Right. Interesting people with interesting stories. Yeah, um, that's really cool, man. That Texas doesn't have such a thing. We, they used to do like some stuff on YouTube, but they don't. They haven't done it in a long time. And it's, it's well, they do a have a show, and it beats us in awards often. Uh, it has a different format than what we have, and they're really? they're How come doing I don't know shorter. This as a Texan? <laughs> yeah, they're doing shorter clips. Okay. Um, and it's uh, somewhat documentary style, or uh, honestly, what it's called is magazine format. Okay, and so I see. they'll have one little clip that's four minutes long um, that was produced in far northwest Texas on okay, something, and gotcha. then they'll have another four or five minute clip that's down on the coast featuring some project down there. Um, they don't have a host. Okay. Uh, and so it's just these, these multiple it's the narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not as well known as like the Oklahoma show is in Oklahoma. I don't know. I, I yeah. never really know much about our Texas Parks and Wildlife show. You know, and, and it's strategic yeah. uh, when I think about why was I chosen to be host. Yeah, you could sugarcoat it and say, oh, it's because you had your good presence on camera and you, you uh, have a pleasant sounding voice or whatever. Uh, that's what I used to tell myself early in the beginnings. But now I realize those supervisors back then that sat around before approaching me probably had a game plan and they're thinking you know what we put a dude on there that's kind of funky looking Mm. everybody's going to remember and there's only one guy on television that looks like me you're a very unique human being and so if (laughs) and so uh that has really helped the identity of the show and people might not even remember the name of the show they remember you <laughs> but they remember the dude with the funky arms and hands on there and so i thought you know maybe you could feel exploited you know and sorry for yourself but i'm thinking that was pretty smart yeah, it's <laughs> beneficial to all parties involved sure. frankly and and it's uh, beneficial for um any, anybody out there watching that might struggle with some of the same issues yeah you know that's another yeah. extremely rewarding fringe benefit when i have a mother that will reach out to me and say uh, you know, you can just read the tears in her email or whatever saying that her son or daughter has some type of birth defect and has been struggling um, with um, feelings of, you know, inadequacy and depression. And, um, and then they discovered me on this hunting and fishing show and now it's a family event every Sunday morning. They get up at 8 o'clock and sit around and they see... You know, they'll say they see that son or daughter just glued to the screen. 
yeah. watching my every move, how I cast a fishing pole or how I, you know, hold a gun or whatever, or how I just, you know, physically walk through the woods or whatever. And so, you know, those, man, those make my heart melt and feel so proud and, and fortunate to have that opportunity yeah. to unknowingly encourage other people. Yeah. It's great. It's great, man. <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the Twitter <laughs> oh yeah! Everybody knows Oklahoma Who right now because all the tweets spread. You know around. we are on the map. The <laughs> and y'all world are in the pop culture and bringing wildlife would, into the into the pop culture. Who would have ever have thought it? Too, <laughs> and you're right? one of the people you know behind all that. Well, I, I don't have, take full credit, but you know, no, I I shouldn't take hardly any credit <laughs> because I I helped with our Facebook page for many years, and it it was when Facebook really was the only thing out there. Hmm. And so we had a page. We still do have a page. Um, but then um, three years ago during COVID, we um, we jockeyed around some positions. Uh, a, a position became open, and we renamed it into a social media coordinator. And we hired the young lady that was the social media coordinator from the, the Thunder NBA basketball team in Oklahoma City. And so Sarah came on board really having very little um, actual experience with hunting and fishing. She and her husband, you know, would camp some and do some hiking and that kind of thing, but not really a hardcore license buying constituent of (laughs) ours. And so I will admit that in the beginnings, I was thinking, how is this going to work? You know, people are going to see right through her, you know, when she's making posts. And if if we don't just baby her content and and make sure that she says stuff accurately and all Mm -hmm. that, we're going to lose credibility. Mm -hmm. Man, was I ever wrong. (laughs) I'm so glad I am. Because Sarah came on board and said, you know what? There is no reason we shouldn't be pushing our Twitter and and there's no reason we shouldn't have a TikTok page. You know, the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, a flyover state in the middle of the continent, you know, that not many people would really think about. And uh, she, you know, we have a younger supervisor that was on board with it and, and open to the possibility. So Sarah taught us that we, on all our platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok, uh, that we needed to have a separate voice for each one of those platforms. And that if it wasn't authentic, the users that we were interacting on uh, each of those platforms with, they'd see right through it. You know, they could tell that it was some 55 year old man (laughs) trying to be clever on TikTok, you know. So um, she said it, it needs to have its own voice and it needs to be authentic. So she became our our voice for our TikTok page and our Twitter page, our, our Twitter accounts. And so she, I mean, just started off the wall doing stuff that was appropriate for those types of age groups that were in, interacting on those platforms. And it just, it just snowballed on us. And now... It is so fun to be, I'm still part of our little social media team and, and I do most of my work and interacting on our Facebook page Mm. because I'm old and I don't (laughs) really get, I don't really get TikTok, you know, and (laughs) that's the old person. Yeah. And so she, um, man, it is so fun. She'll come to 
to me and say, okay, I've got this perfect song on TikTok, uh, but I need to know, uh, like, what's a pet peeve that hunters have? You know, so uh, she doesn't know the content of how to spin it, but she got she, the framework. Though. She got the framework, and she says, "And if we don't jump on this before noon today, you know, it's going to be old news." You know, so, you know, so I'll I'll come up with, you know, okay, this is the subject. Oh, that's perfect, you know, and and it's stupid and it's corny, you know, but uh, she'll turn it into something, and you know, it'll have half a million views, you know. <laughs> And, you know, 400,000 shares, you know, yeah. by the end of the day kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's just, it's unreal. Um, the, the, just, I, I don't know. It's just been a, an eye opener for most all of our agency mm-hmm. yeah. of the potential. Yeah. Because those demographics of those platforms, uh, and I'm primarily talking about TikTok, but Twitter as well, the demographics for those and the, who you're talking to, um, say TikTok, for instance, that's that's a 14-year-old urban girl that you're talking to. Anytime you make a TikTok post, that's <laughs> your target audience. You should, you know, frame all your your um, tweets and posts and all that towards. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's a demographic that we have totally, for generations, just totally written off mm-hmm. and think. They're unreachable. Let's go for the low-hanging fruit. You know, the 35-year-old guy. Mm. You know, that's our low-hanging fruit who are, they're the ones buying licenses. They're our constituent base. So let's target them. And and lo and behold, when she starts, you know, connecting on the, the mental level and, and the pop culture level, you know, with the 14-year-old girl and... Albany, New York, or Kansas City, or or L.A., and and she's very clever at it. Then all of a sudden, they have become these. I just keep saying fourteen-year-old girls, but they have become our biggest supporters, and it's incredible. We would have never yeah. dreamed that, you know, five years ago that we would be we would have all these supporters that are in our corner defending us that love Oklahoma and wildlife because of a, a, you know, quote, silly TikTok post or page. Uh, It's just been phenomenal uh, how that has reached a brand new constituency level. They may never be a hunter or an angler or a licensed buyer and contribute financially to our agency in some way. But that's that's not at the heart what's most important. They're they're now aware yeah. that there's crazy cool wildlife out out in the they're outdoors. They're aware and they're aware of the uh, the organizations and the agencies that are conserving the wildlife and yeah, just supporting um, y'all's TikTok and y'all's Twitter by sharing and liking it. That's just a positive, a net positive impact overall. Oh yeah, because obviously there's you know, bound to be people that think it's silly and that, that you know this is unprofessional. But what's I mean, do we want do y'all just want to operate in the shadows, you know, right. where, where nobody's looking at y'all or paying attention to where y'all's work and y'all are the very people managing wildlife in Oklahoma, yeah, and for everybody, um, making it more public and fun, frankly, <laughs> is 
so extremely hopefully other states adopt well just making wildlife relevant making it relevant in the pop culture yes, yes that's that, super valuable never really thought about it until just now <laughs> yeah and so we did this one the other and i love i will make fun of myself all day long and uh, and so we, she has used that as well quite often. She did one here recently where she goes, and sometimes Sarah gets so wound up and excited about something, <laughs> a post that she wants to make that she doesn't take the time to explain to me fully, you know, how this is going to be used. She'll just say, okay, I need you to do this real quick. And she'll video me. And I, so she came the other day and said, okay, so we've got this, um, one that she wants to post that um, uh, you say, I'm handing, you You video yourself on, on selfie and you say, I'm handing this phone over to someone that uh, wears camo as a fashion statement. You know, and then they hand it to you. <laughs> You're wearing a camo coat. And then you, you go, I'm wearing this to someone that uh, cuts their own hair and does it well. You know, and then they hand it to our boss who, you know, cuts his own hair. And so we did that. There were three or four of those. And then she was trying to say, we want to use you, Todd. We've got to use you. You're the old fart guy, you know, balding and gray hair and beard. And, and so she throws me in there in the mix uh, because it's comedic relief, you yeah. know. And so what I did is, even though I understood the concept and knew what she was doing, I held the phone down to where... It, it's on selfie mode, but it's just shoot, shooting straight up my face, you know, and you see my chin and I'm not looking at the camera and I'm going, uh, what do I, what do I do? Where do I push? Is this thing even on, you know? And then, and then I pass it on. So yeah. it's, but when the guy passed it to me, he said, um, uh, let's, uh, I'm passing this on to someone that needs to retire. Yeah. <laughs> and then I hold the phone and I, I'm, I'm not even looking in it. And do, is this thing on? What do I do? Right. <laughs> let's pause for a second. I'm going to pause it. All right, we're back on. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about uh, Twitter stuff. One thing I wanted to say about um, uh, social media and, like, a professional organization uh, becoming more relevant in the pop culture is it – you know, maybe it doesn't directly benefit y'all's department, but it, it generates support for wildlife conservation and hunting and fishing. And because, I mean, you know, the people that uh, y'all are reaching that are that were that used to be unreachable. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in your example, you know, the 14 year old urban uh, girl from some, some yeah. other state that's on Twitter or TikTok, um, you know, but they may not think much about hunting maybe they're anti-hunting or yeah. don't care about much about or think much about conservation or what conservation means and by creating that that uh, digestible content mm-hmm. using the av- the pop culture avenues it's yeah. it's like to me that's really valuable and overlooked um, especially in academia and you know people the pre- conservation professionals don't think about these things yeah i mean as with, much. even within our own agency you know, there's a, a certain number of folks older like me that don't see the, the value in it that you were saying and think it's it's ruining their credibility because you've got some young kid making some stupid corny little joke, yeah. you know. And But here's, here's the crux of it, though, because whether 
whether they become a, an actual licensed buying constituent or not, the next time that they're, you know, once they turn a voting age and there's some, you know, uh, think on the ballot that involves wildlife and it's in some way a negative thing, I guarantee that we're the first ones that are going to, when she sees wildlife or animals or whatever on that ballot, she's, her, her relevancy for wildlife is us mm -hmm. yeah. and we entertain her and she loves us and thinks we're clever and smart and all that. So she's going to vote yeah. in our favor on that, on that issue. Yeah. Uh, and so she, that quite possibly could be more valuable to us than if she bought a fishing license every yeah. year. Yeah, the, the policy stuff matters so much. There's lots of states around the country that were caught, you know, uh, you know, without any awareness of what was really happening, and all of a sudden, boom, it's you know illegal to hunt bears in whatever right. state, or yeah. you know, or we just lost our such and such hunting season. And, how could that have happened? Well, it's because you were asleep and you weren't relevant. Yeah. Working in the to shadows. A, yeah, you weren't Not relevant a way, yeah. to a, a vast majority of the voters. Yeah, that's a super interesting. You know, um, people in the in the you know wildlife field, uh, you know, biologist or otherwise, um, you know, rightly so. We care so much about professionalism, but mm -hmm. sometimes. Fuck professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you really want to make a difference in the world. You know? Right, right. You know, and so we have lots of folks yeah. from out of state following us, even out of the country, mm -hmm. following our social media platforms. And, you know, we're like I keep saying, we may never see any direct benefit for it, but you're welcome, Texas. You're welcome, yeah. New York. You're welcome, you know, yeah. Alberta, Canada, wherever you are, because yeah. we're those those fan bases are of ours, it's going to help you locally yeah. as well. Yeah. They're not I'm, differentiating mm, that it's no. state laws, state boundaries and yeah. all that. Well, the wildlife doesn't know any of these boundaries anyhow. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, the National Park Service has adopted y'all's messaging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of That's, <laughs> I mean, what's, oh, dang it. I can't think of, what's the, the, the phrase you hear? Um, um, something about copying is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember how that goes, but um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been other state wildlife agencies around the, the country that have adopted our style because they see it working for us and yeah. jump on the bandwagon. Why not? And yeah, National Park Service <laughs> has bumped it up and now they've, I don't know, haven't met who, you know, is behind all that wit, but right. they've got a good one. They got a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these new generations coming up is with all the quirks that my generation and newer generations have. Right, we're, we're witty. Absolutely, <laughs> we're social. We're so we're uh, savvy on social media. You know, we've grown up with it. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's really it's really interesting. You know, it's I never I didn't think I was going to ever talk to anybody that knew anything about the Oklahoma uh, Twitter. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, What's fun wanna, is getting to be ruthless back to them. <laughs> have know, fun with it. And yeah. have these meme wars going yeah. back and forth. And it's just, it's so fun. I yeah. wouldn't have dreamed five years ago that we would ever have that kind of latitude and that long of a leash to do what we're doing. But yeah. uh, people eat it up. And it you keeps, know? you know, conservation can be depressing sometimes. And this kind of keeps things lighthearted. 
You know? Right. Sure. Um, you can't get people negative news every day. Then they feel hopeless and they don't think they can do anything. Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, in fact, a lot of things to look forward to in the future um, for our wildlife. And we've come such a long ways since, you know, the commercial harvest era and mm-hmm. you know sportsmen came along and uh, we adopted new ethics around wildlife and you know um, game laws and you know a, just uh, a much better ethic and society around wildlife although we still have some things to work out but um do you have a lot of hope for the future of our of our of our wildlife and our relationship I, to it i absolutely do and i have to yeah if I don't, then then what I'm doing is pointless. Yep. You know, I have to have hope in the future. I have to be excited for what's what's up next. And mm-hmm. the newest generations taking the reins of of this conservation wagon that we're on. You know, if I if I don't have that, man, I'm in a dark place in my life. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I am I'm excited about the future. Mm-hmm. I know for without a doubt. It will be very different mm-hmm. than what I'm what I grew up experiencing, but what I experienced growing up was very different Each than my grandfather, there. you know, I and my father. Try to appreciate so, the moment I'm in now, because I know when I'm yes. an old man someday, I'm gonna be like, oh, the good old days. <laughs> and and yeah, that's that's kind of a little bit of a narcissism mm-hmm. if you if you project your standards on other people, you know, as long as the same mission is being accomplished and the same core values are being passed on, then I shouldn't worry so much about, well, you're not doing it the way we did it. Right. You know, um, that's every generation's prerogative to find out what works for them and what speaks to them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And I feel that, you know, yeah, social media has a bad rap many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are, you know, definitely negative on it and that kind of thing. But yet, I see the um, I see the potential there to for this to just be, you know, our greatest generation. Yeah. Who knows? And, and yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of positives. You know, the only thing I the one thing I struggle with is the urban urbanization, but. Sure. Don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Staying positive right now. Right. Um, I, most of my listeners are, uh, which I don't have that many, but most of them are non-hunters. Yeah. Um, do you have any encouraging words for people out there that might uh, be unsure, or, or you know, um, you know, just encouraging words to get people out and to try hunting? Uh, you know, uh, like Nick the barber. Yeah. Uh, that's fulfilling a need mm-hmm. for his family and, and wanting to feel like they're contributing to the longevity of our planet by reducing their impact, you know, and hunting was, is a part of that. Mm-hmm. That's, that is such a great message. It's, it's a little bit, um, uh, rare mm-hmm. in my state in Oklahoma, cause we're mo- so much of a, of a rural state. Uh, but, um, you know the there i think that there are some some definite hang-ups that people have that prevent them from ever crossing the line and mm-hmm. becoming a hunter one of those is just the aspects of the guns mm-hmm. they're guns. dangerous they're yeah. scary and that comes down to culture you know right. you're up in the city versus the country yeah it's and so comfort. i i say look around i'm going to bring this whole full circle back to mentoring again okay, yeah. but Look around you. If you're interested in this, your greatest hurdle you need to overcome is 
being comfortable with asking and inviting yourself. Do it. I mean, uh, the social science proves that the greatest hang-up to people not experiencing hunting specifically is that no one's asked them. It's not the money. It's not the time. It's not the access. All those things contribute and are important and are necessary. But their biggest hurdle is that no one's asked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so if no one's asking you, find someone and ask them yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, for the guys that do have the experience under their belt uh, or, or classify themselves, label themselves a hunter, man, you have you've got to desperately do something. And, yeah. and that begins with finding someone there's when I visited with our group last night, I said, you, it, you don't have to cold call a stranger and walk up to him in Walmart and invite him, honey, there is someone already that, you know, in your circle of life that you could, that you could, um, you could invite. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, the, the opportunities, there's a lot of ways to get, down on it and and get discouraged yeah. and, and log negativity in uh, and excuses for not getting started but when i was when i was little and struggling with you doing had, something, you had all the excuses yeah <laughs> my, my mother would tell me that uh where there's a will there's a way mm, yeah you know and so uh and she said you've got a you've got the will so find a way yeah and so whatever she was speaking in terms of physical aspects of my life, learning how to find my own way to tie a shoe, which is different than yours, or to shoot a gun, or to drive, or whatever. But if I had the will, and it was it was deeply rooted that I wanted to accomplish this, I will find a way to do it. Yeah. And the same thing goes, if you're, if you're on the edge, and you're thinking about hunting, and maybe you're not fully decided if if you want to do it, but you want to at least become more familiar with it and at least experience it so you can make an educated decision, then if you want that bad enough, you'll find somebody, yeah. find a way, a program to plug into that'll take you yeah. or just an individual. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's going to be the case that hunting simply isn't for everybody. And, but the, the key is, um, even if it's not for you, you want to support hunting, you know? Sure. Because it's such a, it's our financial infrastructure. It's just how we manage wildlife here in North America. Yeah. But, uh, Todd, thank you so much. You hey, know, it's really been my appreciate pleasure. it. You're very inspiring and I've learned a whole lot talking to you well, the past two days. So. When are you going to come back really to Oklahoma? Um, and I'm going to come. Uh, let's go hang out. And hopefully do uh, later this year. Um, uh, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of the, the ecology of Oklahoma right now because it'll be another hour. <laughs> I love Oklahoma, but uh, yeah, thanks so much, Todd. You bet. My pleasure.